to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm talking to myself to empty out the mailbag because we had some internal problems here for the weekend preview show. Our good friend Taylor is sick with something. I'm guessing COVID, but I think he's probably too lazy to actually go out and get tested. But he has he has he came down with something, and so he's unable to talk or hold a long conversation and uh, and even though like we record the show remotely now because we live in different cities again I still you know it's it's a it's a scary thing and I still wouldn't feel comfortable talking to him even through the computer as a result of it but we'll we'll text each other and get our picks as we continue the very stupid tradition of making picks against each other and then buying each other dinner, which I always end up getting, like, you know, eight months after the Super Bowl, after a lot of nickel and diming and arguing about it. But over the past, you know, two or three weeks, I've accumulated, you know, a a significant number of questions from everybody. And it's one of those things where we've had really good guests on the show lately. And there's only so much, you know, we can talk about. And, and like, talking to people for the first time, too, we kind of get in these, like, longer, you know, conversations about where I get a better idea of people's view of the team, their feelings of the team. And so whenever you have like an hour and a half conversation that, you know, hits on a wide scope of topics, um, it's been difficult to get to some of the listener questions sometimes. And so I always want to make sure I get to them even if it is, you know, me sitting here and talking to myself because because these are the things that, you know, we do. In a, in a down and bad season where the content is what, is what matters more so than the football team sometimes. Also, I would like to apologize to everybody who follows the Twitter clips I post every week. I was wrong about something this week whenever I posted the Blitz pickup on Tyus Howard giving up a sack. And it turns out that Lane Taylor was the culprit, he slided, you know, one gap over to the right. So I thought it was like a full slide coverage where, you know, they're going A, B, and then with Rex Burkhead looking, you know, inside out to pick up the edge defender. And that didn't make much sense looking at it again just because you rather have Burkhead pick up the defensive end than, you know, than Tyus Howard. You rather have Burkhead pick up the linebacker instead of the defensive end. And so it turned out just being like a half slide protection where they're sliding one gap to the right. It was big on big on the left. And, Lane Taylor didn't get the memo, and he went to the A gap and it let uh, create a free blitzer. So I was wrong on that. I'm sorry, Titus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all of you who you watched that clip and thought that, and uh, I provide disinformation to you. It's um, it's not a good thing, and you know I'm I'm dumb, but like I said, I'm not obstinate, and all I always like you know, pivot when new information comes around or or change my mind whenever something warrants it you know it's one of those things where like it's a short season away because the sample size is small but it's a long season there's always you know new things that come up um time and time again so this weekend the texans play the indianapolis colts and you know i think it's one of those games that's gonna be kind of brutal just because the texans have a terrible run defense they're you know, bottom of the league in yards attempt allowed and run defense dvoa and you know they've been doing these like weird run fits too where they have their defensive line slant away from the strong side of the, or slant to the strong side of the formation and have the play side linebacker loop back to the other side of the formation to like become the cutback defender and also like clean up things to the interior of the field. And it really just is able to like hide this defender and ensure that he's unblocked. Um, it worked against Miami because the Dolphins have an atrocious run offense like they do every year where they have one, you know, NFL caliber offensive lineman on their entire offensive line right now. And that's why Neville Hewitt had such a good game that week where he was given a lot of one-versus-one tackle opportunities. But it really didn't work at all against Tennessee. The Titans are just a you know, really good outside zone team. And you know, even without Derrick Henry out there, they still have an offensive line that's great blocking that scheme. And they crushed Houston that first half just because of those 
we had run fits they were using. Whenever they just played a more traditional one-gap scheme in the second half, they were much better at stopping the run. And, you know, it also helps whenever Ryan Tannehill's having to throw, you know, 40-plus passes in that game, too. And then last week, it was the same thing with the Jets also. They were, you know, running that same sort of run fits and really kind of getting chewed up by the outside zone and horizontal run game, especially whenever your linebacker is, like, going right to the opposite side of the play over and over again. And, you know, that Jets team, that was kind of the biggest thing they did differently in that second half, or after, I guess, their, like, first two bad drives, is that they switched to a more horizontal offense, and they really just, like, ran stretch run plays and outside zone over and over again, and really devoured Houston's front by doing so. And so this week, I expect something similar against the Colts, where, like, Jonathan Taylor could run for 200-plus yards. He could have, you know, three or four touchdowns. I mean, none of that is off the table at all. And the Colts' offensive line is finally healthy, and they've gotten the combination, not that I want, but that they want. Like, I'd still rather watch Julian Davenport out there than Eric Fisher, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not the god of this world, and I'm just a mere spectator in it. And, you know, it's been, re- it's been really good, like you kind of expect with the Colts' offensive line, especially from, you know, interior up to Brain Smith, and getting Quinn and Nelson and Smith back were you know, enormous for that's, that Colts team. But yeah, I mean, like Carson Wentz is probably going to have a game where he may only throw the ball like 18 times and nine of those will go to T.Y. Hilton and T.Y. Hilton will have, you know, 150 receiving yards. Um, it's uh, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a mess. And like Wentz will throw a lot of RPOs and like quick slants. I'm sure he'll draw a couple of defensive pass interference penalties. I think they'll have some problems throwing the ball downfield just because Justin Reed is solidifies that deep middle safety and he's good taking away the deep passing game over there and they won't get the same opportunities that the Jets had last week with Terrence Brooks being out there where there's just a huge hole in the zone between Desmond King and Brooks you know time and time again and the Texans like you know their front is I think you know fine you know I think the interior of the defense has been the strength of it with Lopez Blacklock and Malik Collins there um, but like they're still gonna have problems against this Colts this Colts offensive line generating a lot of pressure. You know, Grenard had a big game against the Colts earlier this year by lining up as a six side, taking advantage of Mo Alley Cox and some of the other tight ends in pass protection. And you know, this week that this defense kind of presents like the same similar opportunity, especially when the Colts play, you know, play action. But I still think they're gonna struggle to, you know, get pressure in this game and really they won't even have that many chances to do so because Lens probably won't throw the ball a whole lot too. I uh, I would also like to see, you know, the other funny thing about the, the Texans' pass rush also is they blitz a lot. Sometimes now, or they've at least been, like, trying to, and they camouflage it by showing double-A gap pressure and rolling into different coverages. And it's so funny that it took, you know, Lovey Smith, like, six weeks to understand, hey, you can't just show a cover two shell pre-snap and then just run cover two over and over again. And I don't know if it was just because of a short training camp and offseason that it took some time for him to like be able to have the defense under with so many new players too, be able to run the defense um, like an NFL caliber like sort of system right away. And it took you know weeks to add new new coverages and new ideas to it. But whatever reason, it's funny that it took seven weeks for you know, Smith to do things like show double A get pressure and then roll two cover two or uh, or show cover three. And, you know, end up playing man coverage and bring some sort of blitz. And they've actually started camouflaging some things as well. And it helped, you know, like, I think it created a t- big turnover against Tennessee with the Greiser Hill interception. But, uh, you know, it's like something that's very elementary that they started doing kind of recently. And the other thing I want to talk about, Levy Smith's defense, and I mentioned it, you know, earlier this week on the Cap and Trade podcast I did with, you know, Texans Cap, uh, which you should, you know, check out and subscribe to his podcast. He does a, a good job with it. And they do like a, a cool like Twitter spaces thing where you can listen live and ask questions, you know, through like your voice as well too and call in in a way like a, a typical radio show. But um, I just don't think like the pass defense is that good. I think it's extremely overrated. I think they have problems getting stops. I think there's a lot of holes in their zone coverage. They really can't play man coverage at all. They've just been fortunate with the turnovers, you know, like Zach Wilson's backflip interception or the tight ends back of wide receivers, you know, stopping their route too early. Or, you know, there's just, I mean, even like that Miami game too, there is uh, some fluke interceptions in that one. And also like playing Jacoby Brissett and not playing. Some of the better quarterbacks in the league has helped out also. I know like Josh Allen overthrowing 
you know, his receiver and throwing right to Lonnie Johnson Jr. And so those sort of things have been available. And so I don't really think a lot of it's just been scheme. I think it's just been kind of luck and it's fluky. And that's a lot of what happens with turnovers where the Texans were one of the worst teams in the NFL creating turnovers last year. They only had three interceptions, one of which was a, a J.J. Watt pick six on Thanksgiving Day. And, you know, now here we are and they're forcing turnovers. And I don't really think it's like really, all, like it means a whole lot. I don't think it's like an indictment of, you know, this job that Levy Smith has done or, you know, the Texans defense being particularly good. And I asked Rivers if he could pull up the turnover stats or the Texans defense with and without turnovers. And they were 10th with turnovers and 21st without them, you know. And like, again, like a play-by-play defense, it really hasn't been that good. But yeah, I'm just expecting, you know, the Colts to hold the Texans to like less than three yards of carry and for the Texans to have a lot of problems stopping the run. And this should be like a pretty fast game, but I'm expecting the Colts to win like, you know, 30 to 13 or something along those lines. So with that being said, let's get to some of these listener questions. The first is from Daryl Texan, uh, T-E-X-S-O-N, as you know, in the comment section of Battle Red Blog for years and years. Um, a great, a great guy, a great, uh, it's always interesting to, see, to read his comments and you know, he watches the entire league as, as well too. You know, it's not just a, myopic Texan sort of thing. But we stri- we streamed the Brand Scott podcast on StreamYard earlier this week and kind of did it like you know, sneaky out of nowhere. And uh, it just because he didn't have Skype, so we recorded it live like that. And, you know, we may I may start just streaming them as well too. Just being an adult man, I feel silly. You know, streaming, I think it's something for, you know, kids and children to do. But uh, I think people like it enough, so we may we may do it again this week whenever we do the the Colts review. So anyways, his question is, okay, why don't you talk about all the guys who leave and show much more than we saw from them than for the Texans? I can't watch a game in the NFL without hearing from them. Tonight, I keep hearing DeAndre Carter make catch after catch. Yeah, the DeAndre Carter thing is one of the <laughs> the worst of developments of this cursed season where he's caught touchdown passes and three straight games previously. Um, he returned a kickoff return for a touchdown. I don't think he's fumbled yet this year as well, too. He has uh, fumbled zero times, and he's actually recovered a fumble, which is incredible in its own right. But yeah, he had touching, touchdown against Denver, Tampa, Carolina, and then against Seattle. He had four catches on five targets for 42 yards. It's insane that him with his five total touchdowns this year, or, uh, my mistake, I was reading that wrong. It's insane that him with his four total touchdowns this year has more receiving touchdowns than Brandon Cooks does. And, you know, it really is it really is a cursed season. I'm the Titans that are my, you know, favorite ex Texans team just because it's uh it's a wide variety of guys and Mike Rabel loves doing that for whatever reason. And the other thing that's funny about it's I every time I go through them, I always forget somebody. But it's Kendall Lamb, Ben Jones. David Questenberry, Deontay Foreman, Dylan Cole, Michael Pruitt, and uh, I'm sure, I know I'm missing some other people as well too, but it's a long list. It's a whole litany of you know former Texans playing there for the Tennessee Titans, and you know, Mike Rabel loves them. And I'm already, I'm like, it's going to happen. Like, I'm already ready for Max Sharping to sign for with the Titans either you know, the next year if he gets cut or, you know, a year after that, after his rookie contract ends, and he ends up becoming like a competent outside zone blocker and replaces Roger, Roger Saffold. It would be, you know, the most Texans thing of all time to ever happen. But yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things like with Bill O'Brien where, you know, he's a bad head coach. A lot of the players that he had here were, you know, put in like a, a boring scheme and kind of like moved around over the place because of versatility. And they've gone to other teams who are better coached and just are able to limit their role have more success in the league too. And so yeah, like if even if you miss the miss the Texans of old from like three or four years ago, they're still out there, you know, making plays and doing things for other teams. But the DeAndre Carter one just makes me sick every time I think about it. The next question is from at Dan R. Benavides, uh, Daniel ben- Benavides, and he's asked this question a few times before and I have had trouble, you know, getting to it uh just from again not being able to get to a lot of these listener questions. Here and there, but he asked if nine and eight makes the postseason this year. And you know, looking at it, 
Um, this would actually be a good time to pull off the playoff picture as well, too. But looking at it here in the AFC, you have the Patriots and Bills in the AFC East with the Patriots at 8-4 and four and the Bills at 7-4. and four. In the North, you have Baltimore, Cincy, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore 8-3, and three, Cincy 7-4, and four, Cleveland 6-6, six and six, Pittsburgh 5-5-1. Five, five and one. The South, you have Tennessee 8-4, and four, Indy at 6-6. Six and six. And then the West is all jumbled up with the Chiefs leading at 7-4 where they're actually playing for the they're actually playing for the division lead um this week whenever the the Chiefs and Broncos finally play each other with Kansas City at 7-4 and Denver at 6-5. So in this strange season we have the Ravens with the one seed 8 and 3 even though they can't beat a team by more than you know one score with the injuries and everything else they've been the they like the good bad team where they've rid their way through you know the wins they've had. Uh but it would be Baltimore Chargers in the or the Baltimore be off and the Chargers be the seventh seed. It would be Chargers Patriots as the two seven ma- matchup. Again, the Patriots went earlier this year because of a you know pick six whenever Herbert and the flat receiver were on the same page, and the Chargers have one of the worst run defenses in football, and the Patriots really were able to grind them out. The other game would be the Titans with a three seed against the Bills as a six seed, and that Monday Night Football game earlier this year was my favorite game I've watched so far this year. I mean, it had everything I love, like silly times plays like that. Julio Jones, helmet donk, reception, the Josh Allen stopped on two quarterback sneaks, and him even slipping at the end of the game. He had some outrageous throws on the run, too. Uh, that touchdown Stephon Diggs was, you know, absurd. And it also you know, ended in a, in a very silly way, uh, like I mentioned with Allen slipping like that. And they had, like, that, that enormous Derrick Henry run. And so I think that'd be, <laughs> that's the AFC Championship game I like to see. But, um, yeah, that'd be a great matchup. And 4-5 would be Kansas City, Cincinnati, where you have a Bengals team that can run the ball well and them having a good outside zone offense is one of the silliest things that um, this happened this season, too. So in the hunt are the Raiders at 6-5, and five, Denver at 6-5, and five, the Colts at 6-6, six and six, the Steelers at 5-5-1, five, five and, and the Browns at 6-6. Six and six. And so... I mean, I don't think I don't think nine and eight will get you in, even though they're everybody's so jumbled together. But you expect with December here, which is like the biggest time of the year for football, whenever you kind of these like teams kind of separate from the pack. Um, I would I wouldn't think nine and eight gets in. I think you get to win ten games, especially in you know seventeen game schedule to get it. But I would expect Indy to jump to drop off. I just don't think they're very good, and once isn't very good. Um, same thing with Cleveland. Same thing with Pittsburgh. And I would also, the West is so weird right now. I would expect Vegas to drop off. Um, even the, the Chargers, too, just because of how bad their offense is. And, and how, like, Denver has, like, a great pass defense at a minimum. So, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think 9-8 does it. But I think it will take at least 10 wins to get in the postseason this year. So our next question is from at Confused Lefty. And he asks, why must we always establish to run on third down? You know, that... That Texans game against the Jets, there's a couple of you know silly play calls like the the handoff to Rex Burkhead at the end of the game on their game time drive attempt where they ran like a zone read play with Brevin Jordan running on the flat and the defensive end crashed down and for whatever reason Tyrod Taylor you know decide not to not to decide not to keep on that one and when it really seemed like a very simple read there was of course the jet sweep on the end of half drive and. You know, this is Rex Burkhead's team now, and he's going to get, you know, the majority of the carries, which is, you know, so funny that it's 2021, and, you know, Rex Burkhead's a, a running back number one at this point in the season, with David Johnson, you know, hobbled and limping, and, you know, really not even looking like he wants to run the ball anymore, or rather just be a wide receiver at this portion of the year. But I'm not, I don't know. And I also think the established to run stuff, I think, like, any conversation about the run game isn't, you know, very interesting. There's a lot of Twitter conversation. You know, this week about uh, some, you know, some PFF nerd wrote about how like running's not important. Like, you know, running is, I mean, throwing the ball is a more efficient play, but you know, there are good aspects about running the football, whether it's controlling the down distance or the tempo of the game or wearing down your opponent or, uh, you know, getting the physicality needed in football, which is a, you know, a physical violent sport. I think there are good aspects of, of the run game, but I think it's not, it's not as efficient as to run the ball, of course, but. You have to have a. You don't have to have a good run game to be a good football team. But the teams that lack elite quarterback play, you know, if you you can win, you can win football games by having a great rushing attack that 
you compliments your passing attack though and it just really kind of depends on your personnel too but it's one of those conversations that pops up at least once a year and every single time I'm I'm not interested in it at all whatsoever but the Texans are a team that runs the ball a lot because they have a bad quarterback when you have a bad quarterback that's what you're stuck with doing and you know how often they run also like it allows them to be more funky with their play action passes and you know even though they can't run the ball well um, at least like the threat or the possibility they're probably going to run it does open up some other things too. His next question is, have we reached the bottom yet? And you know, as we know, there is no bottom at all. Things can always get worse. They can always get, uh, they can always get terrible, uh, even more so than they are. There's, no, there's always another level to it. And so like as bad as it is with two wins at this point, with the talent issues, the youth issues, and, you know, and some of the decisions that Casera made this offseason and the Watson stuff, um, it can always get worse. And I think probably the worst thing that could happen is if the Texans, you know, blow the Watson thing or if Watson gets suspended long term before they can trade him. And that's also in the realm of possibilities. There is no, you know, closed reality to how stupid things can get. So, yeah, if you think it's as bad as it gets, it can always get worse. The next question here is from at Marvin Bernard for is Dylan Thompson stealing money? What does he do as a character coach? Thought he was there to quell disagreements, etc. And this, of course, is in reference to, you know, Justin Reed and him sitting out and getting an inactive call uh, for having disagreement with the teammate. And you know, talking to Brandon Scott last week, it didn't seem like it was anything, you know, off the off the record that he heard. It didn't seem like it was anything that was like extraordinary, you know. It wasn't like he was missing team practices or walkthroughs or or swung at a guy or, you know, was hung over to practice or something like that. It was just a, a disagreement he had with the player or some on the coaching staff and that's how it's handled. And David Coley said in the radio show it was a very easy decision to make. Um and yeah, they missed him last week last week with how bad their safety play was with Terrence Brooks. But I, I don't know much about you know, Dylan Thomas and what he does. I know he's a uh, He's a Jack Easterby before you know, in waiting, or uh, he's Jack Easterby's like protege, where he's there to make sure players are happy and they have what they need. And the only thing I've ever heard about him so far this year was a clip that Rivers McCallum posted talking about Brevin Jordan on the podium as uh, talking about Dylan Thompson. He said he's been very helpful as like a for all the rookies that he's there, like help them get used to being a pro athlete and everything that comes along with that. And so. You know, maybe there's some merit to him. I I think, you know, given it used to be, like, that football is very, like, there's a lot of religion in football. There's a lot of character stuff in football. Um, you know, football is more than football. There's always, like, an extent of it. Like, there is a good aspect of having somebody like that around. But it's just whenever somebody like that runs the football operations and becomes your general manager and has the level of control that he has where we've had so many bad and dumb decisions take place with him there that it kind of lends itself to, it's too much, you know? Like, it's not it's not the end-all, be-all for a good football team. And I think the culture and character stuff has gone, you know, too far instead of just, like, getting good football players. They want a football player that matches this ideal that they have. But, I mean, as far as Thompson goes, you know, the only thing I've heard from him was a nice thing from Brevin Jordan. So, I don't know, maybe he's a good thing to have. The next question is from at Confused Lefty, And he asks, who's the most to blame for the garbage play calling? in the Texans-Jets game, and, you know, it's Tim Kelly. He's been really bad, aside from that caster motion screen that he had against the Cleveland Browns in Week 2, and you're using, like, rub concepts out of the pistol to attack the Jaguars in man coverage, who are, like, the only team coach worse than the Texans are the Jaguars as well. But, I mean, just some of the stuff, like the run game design, the fact they didn't attack cover 4 and cover 7 very much at all against a team that runs a lot of cover 4 and cover 7, was absurd. There's really like only three cover four, cover seven beaters that they ran against the Jets. And like they were showing the shells too. Like you could line up and see like, hey, this is cover. This is what they're doing. And they did a lot of stuff where Ashton Davis would come down, play the robber position. And you kind of turn like cover four and two, you cover three as a result of that, take away you know, intermediate crossing stuff for Taylor. And that's why his passing chart wasn't, didn't have any throws at all to the middle of the field. It's because Ashton Davis came down as the runner and took as the robber and took away those throws. So I I just don't like I don't know what he's doing and like they the Jets didn't just like change up that in the second half they were doing it all game and they didn't have an adjustment for it they have an answer for it 
and you know they had the the two deep throws they schemed open, and they had that miss to Daniel Amendola in the out route. But aside from that, you know they just didn't scheme the throws they needed to. You know they had the same problems with the blitz as well in that game as we saw with the Quincy Williams sack, and also the this one of the sacks that Fado Kazi had came from a a slot corner sack or a, a cornerback uh, blitz where David Johnson didn't pick it up correctly. And, you know, you can't even see the hot route on some of those pass rushes too where you're playing cover one and they're running isolation routes and nobody can get open because Amendola isn't good and Chris Conley isn't good and your know, Brevin Jordan has problems being man coverage and, you know, same thing with Farrell Brown and there's just so many other issues too. But I don't, I think we're at the point where like, yeah, the talent's, you know, an issue, but you know, Tim Kelly's done an awful job putting, you know, teams in a position to, or players in a position to make plays as well. The next question is from at underscore necrodank underscore. If God's not real, how do you explain David Coley being 2-1 in the division? Well, I think uh, the thing here is that God is real, and that's a, that's a sign of his majesty with the Texans' 2-1 uh, division record. And, you know, thankfully they get another game against the Jags. They get another game against the Titans, and they'll probably lose the Colts this week to put them at 500. But, yeah, they'll probably finish 3-3 three and three in the division, and their only wins this year may end up being the division. Which like just keeps continuing to show how how beautiful and stupid the AFC South is. Like if you love stupid football, uh, the AFC South is when you're here, your family for it. So the next question is from at Confused Lefty. He had a few of them. He said this was a Thanksgiving Day question. Since it's the day, to be grateful and thankful. What's the most grateful thing we have to be thankful for? From Jack Easterby and Cal McNair. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess the the fact that Cal McNair spends money on players and he opens up his pocketbook and he's not cheap by any means. And like that's what you want from an owner. You don't want to hear anything about him. You don't want to know much about him. But you want him to like do things for the community. You want him to spend money and you know, Cal McNair has done exactly that. As far as Eastby goes, I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know. I guess he brought Dylan Thompson here and Dylan Thompson made Brevin Jordan happy, and you know, that's a good thing. His next question is, what got you into watching Texans football as a franchise, and did you have a team before them in the expansion draft? So when the Texans came to be, I was a fat 12-year-old or 13-year-old or whatever it was, and I was a fan of a couple of different teams. You know, I always, was a, I always enjoyed watching football with my father, but like I loved Brett Favre. When I was like six years old, I got Brett Favre jersey for Christmas. I like playing quarterback club a lot in N64 because Brett Favre was on the cover. And then I really fell in love with the Rams because I love Marshall Falk and, um, and, and Muhammad as their kick returner and Hull and Bruce and Prohl and Orlando Pace and the whole you know, group of guys. And I mean, I just saw Marshall Falk more than anything. He was a, a wide receiver and a running back. His mouthpiece was really cool. The uniforms were really were awesome in the dome, just like that dark blue and gold. It didn't look as good as like the the older school ones, but I think it very I think it fit the kind of like the the lighting in the dome very well too. And uh, I don't know, I love Marshall Falk. I love that team. And I still can't couldn't believe it. Whenever I was a child, whenever they lost that Super Bowl to the Patriots too, it was insane to me. They just like took away Marshall Falk in the flat, and then the Rams have an answer from that. So whenever the Texans came around, I didn't have a team necessarily, you know, I was teamless and, uh, and I like wanted to be like a fan of like one team to really kind of love instead of kind of bouncing around as things came to be. And then whenever the Texans came around, I, it was kind of it for me. I remember playing, I think Madden 01 with Dante Culpepper on the cover. And after the first season was over, I guess it may have been Madden 2000, um, yeah, I guess it was Madden 2000, Dante Culpepper on the cover. And after the first season of play, you're able to, the Texans came in as an expansion team. And I was able to, I went quickly ahead to play with them and, you know, did everything I could to, to win a Super Bowl pretty fast. I guess it was Madden 02 then. I guess I was wrong. Um, but whenever, I, I remember, I have a very vivid memory of playing, winning the Super Bowl with the Texans against the Seahawks and Sean King at quarterback. And I was drinking a smoothie at the time. It's in this like black, you know, stinky chair. And uh, it was a very important moment in my life to win a Super Bowl with the Texans. And I and the expansion draft thing was cool too and all that. So that's what got me into that team. And 
I've been watching them every Sunday ever since, you know. No matter what's going on, I'm there watching our, our stupid football team. So I remember a lot of this stuff from, from the old days. Uh, I remember watching like watching the games. I just don't remember a whole lot from the games themselves. And it was like a light didn't really turn on when it came to watching the Texans until probably like 08, 09, something like that. I don't know. It's all been it's all been very dumb. That's how I became a fan of this football team. And I started writing for the website. I guess for the 14 season that two, or the 13 season that two and 14 mess and um, I've enjoyed it you know, ever since the writing part's been a lot of fun sitting on the podcast and everything else too and it has enriched the experience of watching the team itself. His last question was why did the NFL side punish everyone Thanksgiving with Bears and Lions and you know really after talking to Chris Perfett last year about the Lions on Thanksgiving I really kind of changed my tune about the Lions on Thanksgiving being a bad thing. And his words, to paraphrase, were, it's the only thing we got, <laughs> you know. Just let us have this. It's the only thing we have. And it really is, you know, as bad as the Lions have been for, you know, my entire life, they at least are always playing on Thanksgiving. They always have a, that game to look forward to. And it's their own personal Super Bowl. It's their own, you know, it's, it's, what, it's probably the highlight of being a Lions fan year in, year out. And uh, this game last year was very sad to watch them. Watch Swift get hurt and watch that penalty to be able to give the Bears a first down where they were able to just kneel the clock out from there. And Dan Campbell was someone so bad, and I feel so bad that he can't win a game this year. So our next question is from at found of HOU Sports. Is the light turning on for Tyus Howard left guard? This one was asked a while back ago, of course, and I think the biggest thing about Tyus Howard lately is I think like a lights come on like from a tenacity aspect. He's been a lot meaner. He's been a lot stronger. He's been a lot tougher. Whatever word you want to use it, he's been just kind of kick, trying to kick ass in the uh, in the run game a lot more now. Or he's really you know, looking to finish his blocks and drive guys off the ball and just playing a lot more like strength and anger. And you know he's been lacking that, especially the guard position. And we saw it some more last week in that Jets game where he had some really nice pass sets. Aside from getting that sack to Blair, um, to Ronald Blair, you know, wherever he's, he got beat with that bull rush. Um, aside from that, though, like, he, he's a good pass-protecting left tackle. And he was a good pass-protecting right tackle year before that. So I am hoping that maybe we could see him, they, they'll leave him there, and he can stay at left tackle. And then they could trade Larry Tunsil for an early second round or late first round pick next year. And then be able to, you know, get another draft pick out of Tunsil and just leave Howard at that spot where you know, he's better off. His next question is, would you bring back most of the defensive line considering the steady improvement? For me, it's Grenard, it's Lopez, it's, Block, it's Blacklock, and it's Collins. And then everybody else can kind of, you know, beat it. You know, Demarcus Walker is pretty much playing defensive end, which is kind of funny, you know. And, like, he's had, I wouldn't say he's had some good pass rushes, but he, he has a good motor. He's able to play his way into some production, too. I, I don't think Jacob Martin's good. You know, he had the sack last week because he had that inside rip following the puller. And there's some play action. I have no idea at all why Fan you know, took a slide step left instead of, you know, pretty much turn the gate where you take a slide step to the inside gap to make sure you protect it. And then with a guy pulling, like, that should be expected. And then from there, you open the gate to be able to wall up that gap and uh, protect the inside gap from the inside moves at all. And I don't know why he took the foot he did, the steps he did, but it's like, you know, Martin read, read the pull, ripped inside, got the sack, but like, Aside from that, all he does is just chop rip, and it works one out of you know thirty five times. And you know the time it works, he has good closing speed, and he's able to turn you know his his one good pass rush move into a sack because of it. And that's why he has the sack numbers he has. Is that whenever he hits, he has the speed to close on the quarterback from there. But yeah, like you you know he's the Chris Davis of pass rushers. He gets one hit out of every you know forty at bats. It ends up being a home run. And because it's a home run, he's able to keep giving the stops from there. But he's also one of the worst run defenders you'll ever see. He's undersized. He should be playing a 3-4 defense. I also expect for him to go to Carolina next year, uh, potentially where he can reunite with Matt Rule at Tennessee and kind of fill in Hassan Reddick's spot where he's going to get a big contract somewhere after having a really great year this year as well, too. But, I mean, I Lopez has made, made plays that you don't see from a rookie nose tackle. He's really smart. He sees his reads really quickly, sees his keys quickly. He understands ha- uh, his hands and pad level well. And he's strong, and like he can actually create the interior too. And has a little bit of pass rushing juice. And 
Blacklock had the best game of his career against Tennessee. He was, you know, he had the, the two big dumb mistakes, and he had some problems against the outside zone game about you know where to be and that sort of thing. Um, but like this has been a, a better year for Blacklock, and Collins is a honey bear. You know, he spins around the interior. He has that half spin. He has a good rip, a uh, good a good chop spin, a good chop swim as well too. And I think like with him, he may play himself out of Houston. He may be able to get you know multi-year deal somewhere else next year, and so that the door is open for him not to stay. But I would like for them to retain him. He's been you know probably the best interior pass rusher if you don't include JJ Watt since Antonio Smith was here, and he's like the exact thing the Texans needed. You know when they drafted Ross Blacklock and they needed you know four years ago when they decided not to sign interior pass rusher at all whatsoever. Um, that year Brian Game was fired in the offseason too. Where do you expect Tim, Gell- Tim Kelly to go when Houston fires him, working for Bill O'Brien at University of Texas? I, uh, I would expect for him to join Bill O'Brien somewhere whenever he gets fired. He's the only person he ever coached for his entire career. And I don't watch college football at all, but I'm really excited to watch this Bama-Georgia game on Saturday and have the opportunity to actively root against Bill O'Brien and his stupid offense and everything else that goes along with it. And also, it's just been fun seeing Alabama fans, you know, complain about how bad the coaching has been this year after, you know, with all the talent that they have uh, offensive and defensively. So watching them go against that Georgia bus all should be fun to do this Saturday. But yeah, I don't know. I would like to see Bill O'Brien anywhere. I think the thing about O'Brien and UT, which is something I joked about, you know, last year, um, is that the University of Texas needs Bill O'Brien. They're a train wreck. They're a bunch of losers. They're a bunch of guys playing football there who like taking pictures in the jersey, but they don't actually want to play football at all. And, you know, Bill O'Brien could win eight games a year there. He can go eight and three every year with the University of Texas. He can get, maybe sometimes he'll go seven and five, whatever else. Um, but he'll be able to take you out to the Con Bowl, you know, a few times every year. And then after five years, you'll get tired of it and farm for somebody else. And then you'll be back in this black pit where you can't even you know, get to that point at all whatsoever. So his next question is, can this culture-infused Texans team get to four wins in 2021? I picked them to win four this year. Um, after losing to the Jets, though, I mean, like, you expect for them to you know, beat the Jets last week, but lose to the Titans, and that kind of balance it out and put them at two. And they have, you know, they have a shot maybe against Seattle. They definitely have a shot against the Jaguars. They play the Titans one more time as well. Um, this week they're able, they have to play the 49ers again. And this week, of course, they play the Colts. I would say three at this point. Um, I just don't, I don't think they'll beat Tennessee, especially the Titans who really need to try to secure that one seed for the postseason with the injuries that they have. I, I don't think they beat the Chargers well either. You know, the Seahawks, maybe they can force some turnovers and a little bit of pass rush, but the run defense is so bad. Jacksonville, you know, they should probably be able to beat Jacksonville, I guess with how poorly that they're coached and the problems that they have with their pass offense too. And San Francisco, they probably lose that game, but I think it's going to be hard for them to get to four. If they beat the Jets last week, you would, they would have gotten to four, I think, but I think they have one more win in them. I think they'll end up three and 14 now. Yeah, I hate this stupid 17-game season. I think three and 14 is, I don't know, it's about what's expected for this sort of year. Um, he said, who does Nico Collins remind you of? I think a big wide receivers who get open but are rarely thrown to. You know, Collins, I think, can play. He just, he, I think he's a quarterback dependent wide receiver where he's not necessarily going to make life easy for a quarterback. He's not going to be, you know, a consistent chain mover at all. Um, I like him as like a big slot receiver too, where he can run the seam and run some corner routes and make some catches over in traffic over the middle and be able to, you know, pick up, pick up some stuff from there as well too. I don't know. I don't really have a good, like, I don't have a really good comparison for Collins because I don't want to be, like, hyperbolic and, you know, compare him with somebody who's, like, really great. And, like, trying to think of, like, a, an average receiver kind of fits this mold. I don't know. I don't have one at all. But I think Collins can play. I think he just needs a quarterback, too. Are you more excited about Burkhead being a 2022 Texan or David Johnson? I, <laughs> I mean, it's Burkhead's team, and... I don't know. Nick is here talking about Burkhead's, uh, how tough he is in practice and how hard he works in practice is just absurd. That's how they end up getting Burkhead, uh, making him the number one running back on this team now. Uh, the David Johnson thing, though, like, you, 
they've just been so bad at admitting failure that and like he was definitely I think kept around as like it used to be sort thing because he has contract restructured and he was bad last year and I didn't really see like the role for him in this offense at all and you know he's been one of the worst running backs in football again this year. I I would say Burkhead's been back out of the two and I would be more excited about Burkhead at this point than Johnson. I think Johnson just needs to you know, go to the farm upstate and head to the glue factory. His next question is underrated and overrated winter vacations. So usually for me, every MLK weekend, because we get off that Monday, I'm able to, I usually go to Big Ben. I'll go hike the Outer Mountain Loop. Uh, the weather's perfect. It's like 40 degrees at night and like 75 degrees during the day. And the sun's real shiny. And uh, there's not a lot, you don't have to worry about like, you know, a lot of animals or anything. There's really nobody out there as well either. And that place has really been overcome and kind of devoured by, you know, people want to go to that park because it's, you know, beautiful. I've been going there since 2013 and it's just crazy. Like we would, whenever I first went there, there was just nobody really there. It was really open. You could just drive up anytime and get campgrounds. And now it's a madhouse. And now, you know, they have Airbnbs that are sold out. They're a hundred miles away and that sort of thing. But um, if you've never been before, it's a perfect park and it's really, like you can make it as like tough as you want it or as easy as you want it. And they have a little bit of everything whether it's like sitting by the river and, and reading or walking up to the mountains or uh, putting a blanket down the desert or you know, walking around the wildflowers or looking at cactuses or the wildlife. It has everything there, and, and it's a beautiful drive, too, and it's very desolate, and it's, it's the night sky park. I'll, I'll never forget whenever I spent my first night there. I woke up at like 3.30 in the morning, and the Milky Way was over my head, and we didn't have the rainfall in the tent. I'd never seen the Milky Way before. And so I woke up and I just I walked for like an hour just staring at it. Those are the most spectacular things I've ever seen. Um, so go there. That's an underrated one. Overrated. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, I haven't been on like a ski trip before. I guess, I don't know. I don't really have an overrated one. But uh, go to Big Ben. Big Ben's a great place this time of year. So the next questions we have here from my good friend Greg from down in Australia, and he had uh, a question about Josh McDaniels. So he had a question about Josh McDaniels about staying in Boston long term, so he probably wouldn't be an option for the Texans after talking to one of his friends about the Patriots. But his question is, given the rebuild is likely to be lengthy given the current front office, would the Texans be better off going with the young coach like Helen Moore who has long-term potential, but will likely make mistakes in the first couple of seasons. And this is a great question. And, you know, it's one of those things with, at, like with David Coley right now. Like I thought for sure he'd be here for, you know, two or three years or so, uh, at least like until they got the players around and, and everything needed that, you know, where he could like create like a foundation of this culture that they wanted. Then whenever like a good head coach could come in and take the team and turn it around from there. And actually start winning football games, but the mistakes here have just been you know so egregious and so outlandish that I uh, I don't know I I I don't I would not want to see him here next year at all as much as I love them, but there's just been too much stagnation. There has been enough progression this year, enough development as all, at all either. So I would not want to see him here next year. Whenever it comes to a future head coach for the Texans, you know I don't really. I don't know. I don't really. I don't really know one at all right now. Um, as for like a, as far as like a young coach option, but I do agree with that though. Like I think going out and getting somebody who's already had, has already been somewhere and failed before, isn't very helpful. I think they should get somebody who hasn't been head coach before. Um, like I think going back to last year too. Like I think Brian Day will be great. I think Eric Bieniemy would be great. I even think Clint Kubiak would be very funny just because time's a flat circle and. It would kind of be the most Texans thing in the world to do. It just, I actually, I they're gonna hire Clint Kubiak after the Patriots thing fails again, and Nick is here is fired. And everything else, they'll go get Clint. They'll get Gary as like an assistant GM or something like that, and we'll be able to have the exact same team in you know 2031 that we you know, love so much. Jeez, uh, ten years ago now. So I, I yeah, but I agree with that line of thinking. I think they'd be better off getting like a younger guy who has a a spongier brain who's more flexible who will take more chances and miss who will um, kind of grow into the job as well too then you just take like another veteran head coach who's been there before like a Doug Peterson or something like that like I'd rather see a younger guy who 
may have the ability to to kind of do something with it. I think Zach Taylor is a good example of that. And same thing with Cliff Kingsbury. Like Taylor, like I didn't know if he was a good coach or not. And entering year three, you know, he's shown a big change where they stopped running all those stupid empty sets where they had a ton of pass protection issues in those. Um, drafting Chase was the right decision. They're a really good shotgun team. They have a really good outside zone game. Their offense is really well balanced. It attacks every level of the field. Burrow has you know, great feet. He has a great mobility in the pocket. He sees the game really well, even though he doesn't have a whole lot of arm strength at all. He still had a lot of success throughout it just because of how well the structure of the offense has been and you know his own ability to process the game like that too. And then like you know, Kingsbury also, like he wasn't a good head coach last year. He wasn't a good head coach the year before that. And you know this year he's kind of really corrected a lot of the mistakes that he had as a play caller by having an offense that was more than Kyler Murray scrambles and DeAndre Hopkins curl routes. That was an offense that didn't run so many stupid running plays out of you know, spread formation, they only got two yards and kind of killed the offense. And this year, he turned a Colt, turned Colt McCoy into an efficient passer where everything was less than five yards, you know. He was able to get more wide receivers involved and create a really well-balanced attack. He turned James Conner into a red zone machine. Their offensive line has played a lot better as well, too. And so I do think any younger guy like that who can grow into the job be better than, you know, hiring some sort of retread as well, too. Um, his next question is regard, was regarding Bill Belichick. Why is the greatest coach of all time produce such bad head coaches? And I think with Belichick, it really is. You, he's just so good at it, I guess, that he doesn't delegate as much. Or, like, he has everybody in very specific roles where they're not able to, I think, branch out, understand the entirety of the game. And also, like, it's his team, too. I think it's a lot of it also. And we have a head coach that that's good. And that is that good. You don't have to, like, have your other coaches, I guess, like, have as much responsibility and have as much say in things. I think they kind of like a limited, you know, viewpoint because of it. So I, it is weird though. It's like you'd say Brian Flores is probably the only good one he's had, and Flores is a, was a team that only had one win for a long part of the season. He's just gone on a three-game win streak where they were starting through a lot of RPOs down to his backs, and they did whatever he did before he got hurt, and they kind of found their roots against the high blitz defense, and they forced more turnovers during their win streak than they did in. In there, where they found themselves, you know, one and seven or whatever it was as well, too. Um, his last question was about would Josh McDaniels be a good fit for the Texans? And he kind of retracted that statement in a second email. But, like, again, it's the same thing. Like, no, no new, no new England coaches. And the rumor with McDaniels, too, as he said in his other email, is that he's in line to be the next Patriots head coach, probably, once Belichick steps down. And it's the only thing that makes sense for why he turned down the indie job like he did, too. Um, and like he's done a, a really good job this year. He's done the best job out of any of the out of any of the offensive coaches at building the offense around his rookie quarterback. It's a you know a short middle of field passing offense that takes some shots off of play action. There's a really well designed run attack, and uh, it's a perfect offense for Mac Jones. And it's the reason why he's had so much success. Where he's making you know a lot of these throws are open, and like the key to Mac Jones is to get interior pressure and make him throw mistakes after pressure and. Maybe the Bills can do that this week in an enormous AFC East game. So our next question is from my, from my friend Chad. And he asks, if Taylor hadn't been injured in the second game of the season, do you think the Texans are in a different place than standings now? Or do you really think it would have made that much of a difference? Um, I, don't, I don't think so at all. And like maybe they win one more game, maybe two more games, and they have four wins instead of two wins. But I just don't really... I just Taylor's just like he's either he's very average and this year he's been below average and Tim Kelly offense stuff hasn't worked as well either and uh, I I don't know I don't think it really made much of a difference though I think the biggest difference though is like the Texans were unwatchable Davis Mills and recently this week there's a lot of clamoring for Davis Mills to come in which I don't really see why like he was unplayable you know with them where he's running five route concepts and that's it and I know the numbers are kind of similar to Taylor. And it really is just because he had that fluky New England game he hasn't been able to replicate at all, where two of those throws will probably never make again whatsoever. And, you know, Taylor's been you know, really bad since he came back from his hamstring injury too. But I don't think it makes that much of a difference um, with Taylor being here or not. It just makes the Texans, like, watchable. You know, you can watch a really stupid game instead of a game where they lose by, you know, 21 points and don't really have a chance at all whatsoever. And so our last question is from at found of HOU Sports. 
He asks, also, what is COVID toe to you? Your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers' recent PR campaign? Um, yeah, I've turned around on Aaron Rodgers. I think, like his, I talked about it to Mike Meltzer when he was on the show. I think, like, his press conference that he did on the McAfee show was just, like, he had all the bullet points of, you know, things that make people upset about, you know, the COVID stuff online. And uh, he hit every single one of them. You know, the whole, the whole checklist, he brought up ivermectin, brought up Joe Rogan, brought up his own research, brought up, you know, the semantics between immunity and vaccinated and, you know, everything else as well, too. And so I think he, I don't know, it was just like, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was hilarious and, um, and how he kind of knew exactly what he was doing and, and pulled it off. And also, he's just kind of like, he's just kind of, a, he's a dick, you know? And I really have enjoyed how much of a dick he is this year, especially with you know, that win against the Rams. And some of these throws have been outrageous, too. And the, and the Packers have such a balanced attack also. And it's hilarious that, you know, the, the NFC is going to go through A.J. Dillon this year. As well, too. As far as COVID toe, though, and him showing his foot up to the camera, I think it's, I think it kind of goes along with that. You know, he's older. This may be his last year in Green Bay. Uh, he's, you know, kind of proved everything already. I think he's just kind of having fun with the spot he's in. And, you know, maybe next year he ends up in, you know, Denver or, you know, San Francisco or, you know, wherever else it may possibly be after the Packers, you know, drafted Kyle, drafted Love, and we saw him this year. And I guess he's a real quarterback, but that was one of the, the worst performances we've seen you know, so far this year as well, too. So, anyway, that's the mailbag for tonight. I'm sorry that I didn't get to these questions sooner. I kind of wanted to do this once a week, but, uh, you know, life happens and time happens, and this is not a, a full-time gig for me at all by any means. And so I do the best I can to, to keep everything going. Um, but I'll ask for questions on Sunday. I think next week we'll have Texans Cap on the show, and I'll finally get some answers about this you know, post-June 1st nonsense that I've always, like, wondered why it's set up like that. I never have done the time to, to find out. Well, this week I'm actually going to find out, and I believe we'll do the show on Monday night to review the Texans-Colts game from last week because I, yeah, it should be fun, though. Uh, the games are bad. The team is bad. Everything's, you know, pretty dumb, but at least we have each other, and, and uh, we can make things enjoyable out of it. And, you know, we're Texans fans, and this is what we're accustomed to. This is the life we've always lived, and it's the life we'll continue to live for the foreseeable future. So until next... Oh, one last thing. I should have said this in the beginning, but if you subscribe to the podcast, if you are... If Battle Red Radio's in your top five of, on Spotify podcast play, send me a DM, send me your address, and I'll have something very special for you this holiday season. Um, I know exactly what I'm going to get you. I don't know who you are, if you're going to send me a message or not, or who's going to send me a message, but I already know I'm going to get you. And it should be something that you'll, you'll love and cherish forever. So send me some messages with your addresses. I want to send some presents out this year. And uh, that's all I got for tonight. So until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bow Red Radio. And thank you for all your beautiful questions.